This podcast was recorded at 11 a.m. Jakarta time on 15 February. Things may have changed by the time you hear this. Enjoy the podcast. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. I'm Jeff Hutton from The Straits Times. With Kevin O'Rourke from Reformacy Weekly. Hey, Kevin. Hello. Um, uh, everyone's got COVID. I don't know how, how you're doing. But uh, it's, uh, here in Bali, it just seems that uh, anecdotally, <laughs> everyone is sick. It's either cold or COVID. And I've... And I've, I was sort of wondering how much, how much I needed to, uh, describe how many, <laughs> my, my level of frustration, but wow, it just never seems to go away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is the, uh, peak Omicron right now, or, uh, getting close to the peak anyway. The, uh, moving average of cases is still going up. Uh, the bed occupancy ratio is stable, but that's just because they keep on adding beds. Um, so that's not a bad thing, but um, it's uh, yeah, definitely still worsening, I think. And we'll talk about COVID. We're going to talk about uh, Ganja Pranowo there in central Java, digging an ever deeper hole for himself in a quarry issue that has um, uh, de- first real test of his, uh, of his candidacy. That- and the party, of course, rallying behind him. Yeah, right. Uh, the wheels <laughs> coming right to his aid. Um, and uh, a motorcycle race in Lombok. Surprising that it's going ahead, but it's uh, it's pretty big. I think that's more or less what we want to talk about today. Let's let's just get back to COVID, though. The the funny thing is that we're we're experiencing delta wave levels of infection. And there's been a lot of uh, talk out of Jakarta about um, restrictions uh, increasing. Um, and at the same time, quarantine being shrunk in the coming weeks, it feels an awful lot like the government is defaulting to caution, but kind of playing footsie with reopening a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. The, the the bed occupancy ratio is is, is heartening, um, and they couldn't possibly be adding that many more beds. It just feels like it's 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 not as deadly a variant as as was originally feared. Yeah, that seems to be the case for sure. Yeah, um, you know, again, just going by the official case detection numbers, right now they're equivalent to the peak of the Delta wave last August. However, the deaths uh, per day are fewer than 5% of the level last August. Now, still early days, and the deaths are ramping up, and uh, deaths could really skyrocket potentially, I don't know, uh, in the next uh, uh, one, two, three weeks ahead. But uh, so far, yeah, I mean, it seems like it's consistent with elsewhere in the world whereby the Omicron wave is not as uh, as lower fatality. So, um, yeah, it's just a matter of... Uh, <laughs> Seeing how long this lasts and when the peak resides and then uh, what, what sort of immunity is left in the population afterwards towards other variants that might come up. Yeah, I mean, by definition, the death rate is is a lagging variable. Um, so it kind of feel like there's the other uh, the other really big shoe 
has yet to drop. Yeah. But the, the overwhelming evidence and the anecdotal evidence is that it's, it's just a, a really annoying flu and doesn't require the same intensive medical care as Delta did. Could be a few reasons for that. It, the variant itself, but also there's so many people have antibodies. So many, or they've either been vaccinated or they've already got Delta before. Um, and I guess maybe we're just, we're, we're ready. We're, we're better equipped. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. The testing levels are way higher now than they were last year. Um, and, um, healthcare is geared up for it, a healthcare system. Um, so yeah, it could be worse, I suppose. Um, yeah, the good thing is that Indonesia's Delta wave and Omicron waves were separated, uh, unlike in the U.S., where both happened simultaneously, which made things really kind of uh, calamitous. I with that. Yeah. Um, although it still, still remains to be seen if, if, if all these cases right now really are Omicron. Um, you know, there's, there's only so much uh, you know, DNA testing that can happen, so um, there's still some questions about that, I think. Yeah, as a... Uh, speaking as a Canadian, seeing what's happening in Canada makes me with, with the with the protests there. It's it, it's tough not to remark how few similar protests there are in Indonesia. The the political fallout for for Western leaders has been rather intense and increasingly a a, a political hot potato. Whereas <laughs> I was, I was thinking about that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Indonesian truckers could form a convoy and then take it into the yep. center of Jakarta and blare their horns and stand still. No one would notice. It would just be like a day of traffic in Jakarta. It would be just, just Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, there's you, you make a good point. But it's, I mean, is definitely fodder for someone who wanted to take the issue and run with it. There's plenty of of religious or economic angles you can you can work um in order to to get your base um uh to to to, to animate and motivate your base uh, to a political objective um it, i'm putting you on the spot here but does this sort of show the extent to which joko it feels like it it's it shows the extent to which um jokoi has really co-opted the opposition um there's been for example you know no talk of porcine enzymes or, you know, the being uh, you know, not you know, halal, being haram. There's been very, if muted for Indonesia, hoaxes the other type that you might have expected before people are lining up for their shots. They can't wait for their boosters. Um, how do you account for that? Yeah, I think that uh, this is characteristic of the the late Widodo era, where dissent has really been discouraged uh, in various ways, in part just by co-opting uh, parties that would be in the opposition into positions of power, as happened with Garindra and Prabowo in the defense ministry. So uh, there's a general consensus, I think, among uh, many in the elite to desist from harping uh, on the administration about its COVID policy. There's a real sort of collective spirit about uh, uh, giving the Widodo administration the latitude it needs to, to do what it wants in handling the pandemic. There's been criticism this past week about these uh, countervailing 
trends whereby domestic social mobility restrictions are tightening, but the government at the same time is slightly easing the quarantine for incoming travelers. And some critics have said that that's at odds and it's illogical and it's not fair that Indonesians have to suffer more and foreigners get benefits. In fact, of course, you know, the local transmissions account for more than 98% of cases right now. So the incoming foreign travel quarantine is, for all intents and purposes, no longer significant or helpful. So when you look at the numbers, you make one conclusion, but on the surface, the administration is vulnerable to political criticism. But that's only coming from pretty fringe elements, like um, you know, lower second-tier people within one of the two opposition parties, part of Democrat. And then from figures who are not even in parties, they're um, you know, just commentators and, and activists and so on. So, yeah, it's been there's been a remarkable degree of uh, elite cohesion and unity about COVID policy. But then when the um, uh, rubber meets the road in terms of, for example, the vaccination campaign in rural areas, then it turns out that you know, grassroots Indonesians have different views and there's been some reluctance to uh, take up vaccination in a lot of places. Um, what is the, the basis for their uh, for their objections? The, well, there's a few different things. It's just a, it was a lack of information, lack of understanding, and uh, some some fear, uh, poor information sources. Uh, also, eventually, uh, you know, people tend to trust their family and friends, and so gradually, people became aware that. Their family and friends, in some cases, received the Sinovac vaccine without any harmful side effects or consequences. And so, therefore, people were willing to uh, get the Sinovac vaccine. But in a lot of cases, that was not available. Instead, the government was offering Pfizer, Moderna, or AstraZeneca, and there was resistance, reluctance to take those. The Sinovac was the one that's more trusted. Uh, that, well, you don't, that, that's not a sentence you hear every day. I know. That's right. No, we want the Chinese <laughs> one. <laughs> yeah. We want the more trusted Chinese vaccine. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's it's remarkable because well, I, when I, I need to back up and ask and come at this question a little from a little further back. Um, what is the overall feeling of uh, what's are are people overall? satisfied with their lot i mean jokowi has pretty high approval ratings i i would have thought that there was a certain amount of malaise two years on that could easily be exploited if you were a presidential hopeful right well i mean the, the only way to answer this type of question is to look at opinion polls and uh there's some reasonably good data i think in december there was a poll uh i think it was indicator politic which um uh, questioned respondents nationwide in face-to-face interviews about the problems that they identify and also their attitudes about trends. And it detected generally uh, remarkable optimism. People really expect improvements this year relative to last year, uh, and they see conditions improving. They uh, appreciate uh, efforts by the government in uh, service provision, including for healthcare. Uh, also uh, social welfare spending and education support, but they really lambasted the uh, government as they have for 20 years now uh, about uh, not providing enough jobs, uh, not uh, alleviating poverty, 
And um, there's always a criticism of the government about controlling prices or the cost of living, which is it's not really about inflation per se. It's more just about people wanting to have better incomes, really. Right. Better, more spending power. Yeah. Um, which dovetails with the discussion of handling of the pandemic. I would have thought. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we don't know, uh, you know, has benefited from the, the spending uh, dedicated to uh, social welfare support um, and uh, health insurance also. And uh, it's been disproportionate, I think, because a lot of it is focused on uh, urban populations. Uh, but nonetheless, it's uh, something that's been uh, effective in mitigating uh, what would otherwise be a, a much sharper rise in the poverty rate. Um, and it's also uh, helped prop up uh, Widodo's popularity, I think. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, conditions in Indonesia could be worse for sure. Yeah. yeah. I use this uh, platform to spout off and invent my frustrations. I think that people protesting uh, COVID restrictions would find it find it a lot easier to do knowing that there, there will be a, a hospital bed with top flight uh, medical care for them if, uh, if if they got it wrong there's a there's a, a considerable safety net in Canada whereas in Indonesia not so much yeah <laughs> so yeah. I <laughs> I just look at that stuff that's happening in Canada and uh, a very small, very vocal minority and think, mm, maybe it's because you have it really well. Good. So <laughs> maybe it's because you have it very good. <laughs> anyway, I just, I just have to keep thinking I, myself. I mean, is, is, is Ottawa really dominating global news right now? <laughs> it's yeah. There's Ukraine, there's Ottawa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Everything is, everything is so weird nowadays that uh, even that doesn't throw me. Hey, podcast listeners, Jeff here again. For more analysis like this on Indonesian politics, policy, and economics, try a subscription of the Reformasi Weekly Newsletter. Go to reformasi.info for your free one-month trial. And there's a quarry in central Java that's yeah. dominating the Indonesian political news. Yeah. Town of Wadas. Um Now, the first, the, the, the first uh, rule when you find yourself in a hole and don't want to be there is to, is to stop digging, right? But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Apparently, Ganjara hasn't uh, adhered to this. Um, he's he's uh, uncharacteristically mishandled. The, the first real flare-up, the first real bump in his in his pre-campaign for president. We'll walk yeah. us through it. Yeah, the quarry has put him between a rock and a hard place. Ah, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So this is a uh, it's a, it's a misstep on his part, which has hurt him and made him vulnerable to some political attacks from his uh, formidable opponents, mostly within his own party. Some of whom are actually already calling for criminal charges against him, which will never happen. But it just shows the depth of animosity towards him within PDIP. So what happened in, going back to 2016, the government 
made up a list of places where it wants to build dams, which are great because Indonesia needs dams. It's for sanitation, for flood control, for drinking water, for irrigation, and so on. Um, so this is one of those places, and, and a lot of these dams became what's called uh, strategic national projects, which means they're implemented by the central government and they get fast-tracked, basically. So one of the locations is a, a sub-district in uh, Purwo Rejo, Central Java, called Bener. And the, uh, the Bener Dam was decided upon in 2018, and Ganjar, as governor at that time, uh, you know, approved the, uh, the dam location. And the dam location and the dam building itself is not controversial. However, in order to build a dam, the central government, the public works ministry, wants to quarry andesite rock from a certain village in Bener called Wadas. And the people of Wadas do not want this. Um, a lot of them anyway. Some, some of them do. So there are some landowners there who would uh, be paid for their land and, and they're very much in favor and they want the, the quarry to go ahead. But there's a lot of others who have been adamantly against it. Uh, and there was a clash uh, last year in April when uh, public works figures went in to do some surveying and then there was resistance from the community and police came in and there was some scuffling and some injuries. Now the central government decided to attempt the surveying work again last week. And this time they came prepared with at least 250 police. Some accounts uh, put it closer to 1000 and it just turned into a mess. Uh, luckily nobody was injured or, um, you know, but uh, there were 66 arrests. And then what happened is the next day, Ganjar made a visit and he either had some bad information or um, was just cavalier about it all. And he was basically defending the police and downplaying the potential impacts to the community from this quarry. And then that really blew up and he's had to go back and uh, restart uh, uh, deliberate uh, conversations with uh, community members, which he did um, on the, on the 13th. So, uh, but in the meantime, the, the, the damage to his image has already been done because he, he handled it very clumsily in a, in a cavalier fashion. Um, and, um, so yeah, that's where things stand now. Police yeah. didn't really do him a whole lot of favors by showing up with uh, upwards of a thousand police officers, right? Nothing like, uh, cracking an egg with, with a hammer. Yeah, it was really awkward. Yeah, yeah, you can tell that you know, they were aware that they need to be sensitive. But it, it looked there's some there's a few videos, and it, it looks as if the police in this case in this rural part of Central Java were really struggling to understand how to carry out their mission in practice. So, it, in other words, uh, they need to safeguard the surveying process. And to do so sensitively, and yeah, they it just fell apart in practice, and they ended up uh, arresting men whom they charged with carrying uh, sharp blades, um, i.e., weapons. And, and the men said, "Yeah, we're wood carvers. We're carving wood. That's our job. We have to. You want us to use our fingernails? Yeah. So yeah, it's just uh, very messy. Is that why a local like a local issue um, dealing with a quarry?" in a town, in a part of central Java that I'm sorry, I hadn't heard of. Is that, it was it the police mishandling that amplified it to, to national prominence? Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. um, 
another thing is that uh, this particular location, Wadas, is a poor community. But uh, if you look on uh, Google Earth uh, and you do the street view, for the whole district of Purowejo, which is immediately adjacent to Borobudur, the temple, um, it's it's for the whole Purowejo is quite urbanized, actually. Um, it, it, like most of central Java, it's very heavily populated and uh, quite developed. Then there's a big blank spot <laughs> where there's no street view roads and it's just greenery, and that's Wadas. Yeah. So in other words, Wadas is like, there's one street view you can go down and it really looks like uh, old Java from 20, 30 years ago, which just is uh, hardly exists anymore. It's really lush and green and simple and poor, but uh, clean and, and uh, charming. And this plan for the quarry would basically uh, obliterate, I think, um, at least 15%, maybe uh, closer to 40% of the entire uh, community. You know, the, the land area of uh, Wadas, uh, you know, Dessa or village would, would be taken up by this quarry. So it would be tragic. And I think the resistance to this project is based not on animosity towards dams or a complaint about the pricing for the land. Um, it's, it's really just because people of Wadas want to keep Wadas the way it is. And so it's, 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 a, it's an environmental kind of rights case. And uh, they, they should be able to oppose the project if, if there's an AMDAL, environmental impact assessment, done properly. So this is kind of, it's, it's gone to a, a point now where it's testing the government's whole uh, infrastructure uh, rollout um, methodology. And the, at least the central government hasn't really burnished its uh, environmental bona fides, have, have they? No, and this is this has happened in other cases as well. But this, for various uh, reasons, this one is the one that's really captured attention finally. But uh, there's been a pretty heavy-handed approach used in some of these uh, reservoir projects elsewhere, actually. I think, and uh, in this particular case, the central government is showing very little uh, sensitivity because after this pretty ugly clash between police and the community. Uh, the uh, coordinating security minister, uh, Mafud, uh, came out and reaffirmed that the government is going to proceed with the construction of the dam and the quarry in Wadas. So um, it's kind of tone deaf. What's Ganchar's environmental uh, track record like? His- oh, well, he's good. I mean, yeah, that's, that's what's sort of, that's also kind of ironic about this is because ordinarily this is kind of an issue where Ganjar would be uh, able to shine, really. Uh, because he's uh, so good at um, uh, communicating and uh, you know, appreciating uh, the, uh, the interests at stake in the local level and uh, his willingness to uh, get out in, in the field and um, uh, appraise the situation. Uh, however, I think that he may have miscalculated by gearing himself too much towards the interests of the elites who really have a huge uh uh, role in determining his political future because his need for a presidential nomination is going to depend on how the various party elites in Jakarta decide to deal with him and who's going to nominate him. Um, and right. so he's and been, they, they are rallying to his need, right? <laughs> um, well, I mean, yeah, there's, there's potential to do that. So he, he's really keen to kind of cultivate uh, support in Jakarta, I think, I'm assuming. And um, uh, it's been kind of evident, like, for example, in the minimum wage policy that came out about uh, three or four months ago, uh, some provincial heads like uh, Ridwan Kamil were 
a bit more sympathetic to the workers, whereas Genjar Pranoa was not. He was quite insistent that uh, you know the, the the new government policy on minimum wages has to stand. And then Anis Baswedan in Jakarta flouted that policy and, and completely sided with workers and defied the central government. So there's been different approaches taken. Ganjar has been trying to sort of be supportive of what the central government wants to do, maybe because of his uh, um, need for a nomination. But in this case, it, it mattered more to be sensitive to the uh, the Wadas community. And so he really stumbled on that one. Right. He, he is he's really a threading the needle. Isn't he? he <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow. It's very easy to stumble. Yeah. Uh, well, so, yeah. Um, so then what, what course, happens? This is uh, leading to hyperbole, uh, sorry, uh, histrionics now, right? Yeah, from PDIP. Yeah. So uh, there's a parliamentarian who's quite senior, uh, he's a vice chair of Commission Two on Home Affairs named Junior Mark Girsang. Uh, he's a PDIP veteran. And as soon as this controversy about Ganjar happened on uh, 9 February, uh, Girsang came out the next day and said that the people of Wadas should file criminal charges against Ganjar with the police uh, to, based on uh, Article, I think it's a 335 of the Criminal Code, which provides for uh, a jail time for, quote unquote, acts that are displeasing. Uh, so this is one of these archaic elements of the criminal code that stems from the Dutch colonial period, and uh, it is it's 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 a draconian statute. And so this parliamentarian Gearsong is actually advocating use of this draconian statute to jail his party colleague Gunjar for having uh, insensitively handled the uh, police clash in Wadas. It's really remarkable. In order to benefit <laughs> one, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but potentially, yeah, <laughs> allegedly. Um, what's the latest on it? Where it, does he look like he'll recover? I mean, he's uh, he's, he's got a he's got a broken wing. So yeah, he's, well, uh, he's got his arm in a sling. Yeah, it's, yeah, that's right. Does this all happen? Yeah, yeah, he may have. He's not, he's not, he wasn't hundred percent when this all happened because uh, just a couple of days previously, he had had a pretty bad uh, arm injury from a bike accident. He's an avid cyclist. So um, it's not, not clear exactly what happened to his arm, but uh, it's in a sling. Uh, but you know, the, these issues of uh, evictions from land or um, the use of eminent domain to acquire land are, are really sensitive among the general public. Uh, this is, this is actually, I think, what, what doomed Ahok in 2017 and the Jakarta governor's race. There was the, the blasphemy case, of course, but, um, I think the thing that really uh, gave the upper hand to Anis was that Anis was, uh, uh, really trenchant about criticizing Ahok for policies of evicting squatters from, you know, the sides of canals and places like that. And Ahok's policy was to move these communities into proper housing if they're Jakarta residents. But if these people squatting were not Jakarta residents, then they had to leave the province. That was his policy. But the way it was understood by the public and also the way that Anis and his campaign um, conveyed it was that uh, people are vulnerable to eviction. And that's that's a message that really gets that really resonates with the public. And that's that's no again, tears eviction. <laughs> yeah. Remember that? No, yeah, that was um, th- that was uh, Sandy that, th- that came up with that one. I think. Oh, um, yeah. right. well, who was this? Who was that? Cat? Uh, what was the name of that um, uh, of that slum on the way out to the airport? I, I want to say Kalibata, but that's not it. 
it's um all it's got on my head and they it was it's turned into a, a skateboarding park yes yeah, yeah i know what you mean yeah that was uh one of ahok's signature projects it was a uh, actually a red light district that they converted to a skateboarding yeah. park yeah yeah um and it was and the opposition managed to turn that around to sort of show that um ahok was out of touch easy to do when you can you're already sort of tarnishing him as other um, yeah. this slightly more difficult to do with Ganjar though. I mean, he is of central Java and he's made a, a career out of, of being among the people cycling around them and the like. Um, but such is Indonesian politics, right? It's, it's all about perception. If you can show that you're, a, you're against the little guy, um, and there, he doesn't have your best interests at heart, that you're out of touch, then you've, you've really got a headwind. Yeah. Yeah, I think Ganjar needs to find some other source of andesite rock material for this quarry other than what else. <laughs> yeah. Literally all of Java is andesite rock. So yeah, it shouldn't be too difficult. How do you know that? Well, you know, I've been a geological engineer for many, many years. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Epidemiologist. <laughs> Geologist. Epidemiologist. All right. All right. And, and meteorologist. And, um, <laughs> motos- motorcycle. Racer. Um, yeah, yeah. If you're a political analyst, analyst you can do anything. Uh, it's, it's really a fantastic going profession. To, yeah, MotoGP or something on Lombok. I, I had no idea that this race was actually going ahead. What's uh, <laughs> yeah, so I, a I, big motorcycle race? MotoGP is a very big deal. By some uh, counts, it's uh, more popular than Formula One racing, especially in Asia. And uh, so Indonesia is hosting a MotoGP race for the first time since it did so twice in 1996 and 1997. Uh, back then it was in Central West Java. This time they've built a race track uh, in the Kuta Beach area uh, or Mandalika in Central Lombok. So uh, there was a, a one race held there last November. But uh, this past weekend was the first time that uh, MotoGP Superbike racers came and they tested the track. They did a, a it's it's there. It, it was a preseason event for their MotoGP season, so there were no spectators involved. I think mainly for health reasons. Um, but anyway, it wasn't it wasn't an official race. It was just a preseason test. Um, but it was very interesting on, on a lot of counts because this is a really high profile event for Indonesia, and then this Mandalika track is going to be hosting one of the MotoGP season's races uh, on March 20th, you know, a month from now. Um, mm-hmm. And the authorities expect a hundred thousand spectators, uh, Indonesians from all over the country are going to come and, and, and watch that race. So in, in this, um, this, yeah, this, this track is built wow. in a place which is really underdeveloped. I mean, there's just one road going there. There's not a lot of electricity. There's virtually no hotel accommodation. Uh, so Sandy Uno, the tourism minister, is scrambling to provide Pelney ships and cruise liners to accommodate uh, spectators and fans. Um, so this uh, event this weekend went off okay. Uh, the track appeared to be crumbling a little bit and causing a lot of gravel. And so some of the drivers were hit in the neck with stones and stuff that apparently came from the asphalt that was deteriorating from this brand new track. So that's sort of wow. not a good sign. Um, 
so there's there's a lot that can go wrong here. You know, it's a big opportunity for Indonesia to elevate its image, but um, it could also suffer uh, some ignominy if this uh, event becomes a calamity. A hundred thousand people with no supporting infrastructure. Yeah, yeah uh, it could possibly go wrong. <laughs> and then it's the, like that. It's, oh, you know what it's like? Did you see that 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 fire festival on net on Netflix? It's no. going to be an Indonesia's fire festival. Oh no, it's a super spreader event. <laughs> no, it's just um, the, it it was this sort of music festival on a tropical island that that uh, just turned out to be a bit of a well, it turned out to be a massive boondoggle. Oh yeah, right. F Y R E. Google it. I think it's on Netflix. It's great. No. <laughs> no. Leave it in. Leave this in. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, if it's going to take place on March 20th, that's still a month and a bit to pull it off. Um, are motorcycle and car races really all they're cracked out? Is it really something that the country needs for to well, tourism? I mean, um, hard to say, but yeah, I'm tempted to say that there are some economic benefits from hosting this MotoGP race, actually, because... Uh, that the the fan base for some of these drivers is just gigantic, and a lot of these people are just not going to be aware about Indonesia at all. And so, it, for for a lot of people in the world, this one particular event next month will put Indonesia on on the map in their minds. And um, yeah, there's there's some value uh, to that actually. Yeah, right, assuming they get they can get in their slides. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the uh, so the, the racers and their crew came in this past week. There were 500 of them, and um, this was a huge source of controversy last month. The, the organizer of the MotoGP insisted that the uh, sport is going to cancel their race in Indonesia if the government requires travel quarantine for the racers and their crews, to which San Diego Uno responded that Indonesia is a nation of laws and uh, we have our rules. And uh, and then subsequently <laughs> they changed the rules and uh, reduced the the quarantine period for MotoGP participants to one day, uh, and then supposedly they would stay within a bubble in certain restricted zones during their one week stay in Lombok. Uh, so you know what it is. Yeah. You know what he's done now. No, no tears quarantine. No tears quarantine. Yeah. <laughs> okay. There you go. Good old Sandy. Yeah, I love Sandy. If you're listening, I love you. Yeah, yeah, it's a big test for him too. Be a stranger to the pod. Yeah, well, I do like interviewing Sandy. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, for the tourism minister, this is a major event. Uh, it's it's hard as tourism minister in Indonesia to get much profile, and this is definitely creating profile for him. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, best of luck to Lombok. I do love Lombok. Yeah, I'm not so sure about the motorcycle race. <laughs> where the hundred thousand people are going to come from. I uh, just hope they've got enough porta potties and uh, what uh, and the like. Yeah, the, the race course is really kind of a blot on the landscape too, and it's built just one corner of it. There's one turn at the end that's about 100 meters from um, one of the beaches there on the south coast of Lombok. So it's uh, it really has. Is changed. that by the Novotel? Yeah, just beyond it. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's a, that's a beautiful spot, perfect for a motorcycle racetrack. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. I, a really, really big brace thank track. You. Yeah. Really nice. Fantastic. Well, all right. Good. We don't have a guest. Um, thanks a lot. We're going to leave it there. Okie doke. Thank you. All right. Bye now. Bye. And that's the pod. Our sound engineer, as always, is Stephen Handoko. Music by Blue Dot Sessions. And for a free one-month trial of Kevin's Reformacy Weekly Newsletter, go to reformacy.info. And if you're listening to us through a podcast app, please subscribe. It's just a click. You'll feel better. We'll mean the world to Kevin, too. As always, you can reach us at onthelevel.id. This podcast is a production of On The Level Media. I'm Jeff Hutton. Bye for now. Thank you.